Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Wow, the college students are back. Welcome, guys. Do you feel a little more electricity in the air? I think it's our college students. I'm not sure. Wow. It is good to be together today. You know, um, I think probably every one of us in this room, now I'm not going to say probably every one of us have some kind of quirk or idiosyncrasy or just some kind of weird habit. Don't, don't be looking around. That's not good, okay? One, one, I'll say one of my quirks is I almost every day will take a walk in the cemetery. Any, any, a lot of what's. We got one cemetery here. I live close to a cemetery, so I take my dog on a walk. But I enjoy going to the cemetery, and here's why. Uh, there's a peacock in the cemetery. I like to see the peacock. You've seen the peacock. There are a lot of deer in the cemetery there. They're safe deer. Um, all you bow hunters are rushing to the cemetery now. But, but what I love to do is I like to go and just kind of look at the tombstones. I like to read the script, the epitaphs on the tombstones. Because I, I, I like to I imagine how this person lived. What was their life like? How they're remembered. And, and can I tell you, most of those tombstones are, are not real creative. You know, it's like beloved brother, dad, father, something like that, you know. There's one, though, I saw in there. It had the entire alphabet, 26 letters and there was a different description from every letter of the alphabet. And uh, you would think, wouldn't you? It really wasn't as nice as you would think. But it was kind of, they, they stretched, you know. And the guy, the guy was like a real scoundrel, actually, unless some of you in here are kin to him. But, uh, but, but toward the end of the alphabet, it really got real cool. And he apparently met Jesus and is in heaven now. So that's a good thing. You know, there, there are two epitaphs. Everybody say epitaph in the Bible that are just my all-time favorites. One of those is the epitaph of my favorite guy in the Bible by the name of Barnabas. Do you know who Barnabas is? Son of encouragement. And, and listen to what, this is uh, Acts eleven twenty four. 24, it says, He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord by him. How many of you would like to have that on your tombstone? Good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, brought tons of people to Jesus. You know, you can bring people to Jesus. You don't just have to bring them to encounter nights and to food events. You can bring them to Jesus too, you know? But today I want us to, to talk about a guy whose epitaph is actually two times in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's go ahead and pop that up there. You've already got the answer. <laughs> David. David. All right. Spoiler alert here. Okay. Do we have those verses up there? They're somewhere back there. Well, I'll tell you, in the Old Testament, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Uh, and it says this. It says, basically, this is before... David has even begun any ministry at all. 
the prophet Samuel is out looking for the guy who will replace Saul as king of Israel. And listen to what he says. He says, Samuel's speaking here. He says, you've done a foolish thing, Saul. You've not kept the command of the Lord that God gave you. If, he, if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Can you think of a worse thing to happen in your life? That all the treasures, inheritance, everything of the kingdom is yours forever. But because of your self-reliance, hard-heartedness, you're wanting to do what you want to do, you lose it all. So who is this young guy who has God's own heart? Well, now, in the New Testament, the Scripture is in Acts 13, and this is after David's life. It's about a thousand years removed from his life. And this is how God remembers David's life, okay? Now, Think with me a little bit here about David's life. David's life was not all honey and no bees, right? David had some things that were pretty blotchy in his life, like, well, like, you know, committing adultery and killing a man and killing the man you committed adultery with his wife. I mean, stuff like that, right? But look at this. Here's how the Scripture remembers David in Acts 13. It says this, After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Because he will do everything that I want him to do. David was a guy who would just go for it. He would do whatever the Lord had told him to do. Look at the next verse. It says, From this man's descendants, God has sought to bring Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. At the end of David's life, the greatest accomplishment he had was that he made way for Jesus to come and resolve the whole issue of sin that we might have eternal life. That's a pretty good legacy, wouldn't you agree? So my question today is, what would you like written on your epitaph? What would you like to be written on your tombstone after you're gone? You know, we usually don't get to write our own epitaphs, do we? It's usually somebody who knows us really well that gets to do that. So I was thinking about that. I think the truth is that a life that's well-lived writes its own epitaph. And so it's day by day by day by day in the little things, in the unseen things of life that our final story is written and so I want to talk to you today about stages, seasons of life. We have, we have a very vast array of different ages in this group today. And so you will find yourself in one of these places, I'm almost certain. And so we want to start with David's first time that you really begin to hear of him. Now, there are five corresponding cities that I want us to look at with David's life and just get a big overview of his life. The first city we see is in Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you have your scriptures, you can kind of follow along with me. We're just going to walk right through David's life and draw some things from him. We'll be doing about a five-week series on David's life. And so this is just kind of the the kickoff of that um, because I I think 
If there's one thing most of us would love to be have said about our lives is that we are people that have a heart after God. Amen? And so that, that's kind of where we're going with this thing. First of all, I want you to see that um, David became a, or, or let me ask you the question, how did David become a great worshiping warrior king? Was it something he was just born with instinctively? I mean, he had, the, he had some great raw materials, but can, can I tell you, we do too. You know, David was not born that way, but it was through these stages in his life. At age 17, he had a prophet come to his life and say, David, God's finger is pointing to you, and you, David, will be the king of Israel. Now, that's pretty weighty stuff for a 17-year-old. How many 17-year-olds do we have here? Okay. When God speaks into your life, he's no respecter of age. And so he speaks to David. But can I tell you, the truth is that God is going to have to prepare this David for his assignment. Now, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, we're going to disclose everything today. The truth is this. It took David 20 years to see the fulfillment of that prophecy. And there are some of you here today that God's been speaking to you. You've gotten words. You've gotten powerful, very potent words for your life. But can I tell you, God wants his glory on display so bad that he will take the time it takes to have you fully ready to launch you into that mission, whatever that call is on your life. And so we look at David, and, and unfortunately, we humans, we... Uh, we don't learn well in good circumstances. Have you noticed that? When things are going really well, we tend to get lazy. We tend to get passive. But when the heat is turned up a little bit, guess what? God, we, all of a sudden, we get pretty teachable, don't we, Helen? It's like, okay, God, 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 Uncle, I, I need you help, you know? And so we're going to be looking at these seasons. The first season, let's just jump right into it, is in Bethlehem, 1 Samuel 16. David, like Jesus, a thousand years later, was born in the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread, right? So what is the house of bread? It's a bakery, right? In the house of bread, a bakery? Now what you, you, you bake bread in a okay, bakery. So Jesus came to earth as the bread of life, Right? Born in a bakery. That has nothing to do with this talk, but I just thought it was so cool, yeah? The bread of life, born in the bakery. There's nothing better than fresh bread, guys, right? And I believe God wants to freshen us up. I mean, I think he wants us to be savory. And David was that kind of guy. What a winsome young guy. He's the youngest son of Jesse. Jesse has eight boys. David's one of those. But David is the least of rank in every one of, of, of all of these boys. I've always wondered about that. Why, why did David end up being the shepherd boy out in the fields? People in those days who had enough money, and they apparently didn't have that many sheep because David was the only shepherd they had, they usually would hire servants to go and tend the sheep. 
But David ends up out in the fields as a shepherd. W- wonder why that is. You know, there, there are other dads like Abraham. His youngest were his very favorites, right? Joseph was his favorite. And then whenever he was gone, then Benjamin comes along. He's his favorite. Or that's not, that's not uh, Abraham, is it? I mean, uh, that's uh, Jacob, isn't it? So what's the deal with this? So here he is. He's in the fields. And it's not probably like you think. It's not just lush grass where you're just kind of hanging around, playing your harp all day when the sheep are doing their thing, okay? I mean, we're talking hard rocks, hot sun, barren, scrubby kind of stuff. And sheep are not real smart animals. Any of y'all ever raised sheep? They're nasty too, okay? They should be stinking, okay? Stinking actually is the word I'm looking for. And so David is faithful in these little things when no one is looking, when nobody knows what he's doing, he's faithful. That first stage is faithfulness in little things, things that nobody else wants to do, things being doing an excellent job, being faithful when nobody is watching. But there's also another lesson in this season of his life because we, we find out in you know, he's, he's killing bears and lions to protect his father's sheep. Ooh, think about that. To protect his father's sheep. It sounds like someone who, for this purpose, was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one to protect his father's sheep. And so here's David. He's, he's doing the stuff because he loves his daddy. He cares for his daddy, even though he's out in the field. The prophet comes to town in 1 Samuel 16, and if you'll, if you'll take a look at that very quickly, it says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn, head out to Bethlehem, because I've chosen one of the sons of Jesse to be king. So Samuel heads out, and he's a little bit worried. He says, hey, if, if Saul hears about this, if King Saul hears about this, it's not going to go well for me. <laughs> and so he heads out, and he, you, you may be familiar with the story. He meets with them, and Jesse presents each one of his sons. You know, the, the first son, the oldest son, uh, is presented, Eliab, and uh, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the before the Lord. But uh, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance, how tall he is, how strong he is. That's man's way of assessing strength, ability, worth, value. He said, but God looks at the heart. And he goes through each one of the sons, you know, the first one's big, strapping, handsome guy. The second one, you know, every one of them had just incredible attributes. But each time the Lord said, nope, not the one. And so Samuel says, well, Jesse, do you, have, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, yeah, I've got one more little boy. He's, he's out in the fields tending the sheep. See, David, one of the things we, we don't often talk about, David, David really struggled with rejection. His brothers, if you, if you go to the next chapter, 
they, they bring some, a sack, he brings a sack of lunch to them whenever they're getting ready to fight Goliath. And his oldest brother just talks to him with disdain and, and just animosity and, and anger and just humiliates his little brother. I wonder why that is. Well, here's an interesting thought. In Jewish tradition, David was thought to be an illegitimate son of Jesse. That his mother uh, is not even mentioned anywhere in the Scripture. You, you won't find her in there. And so, if, if you'll turn with me to, just real quick, to um, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. It says, in verse 5, it says, Surely, this is David speaking, Surely, I was sinful at birth, sinful at, from, from the time my mother conceived me. If you go over to chapter 69 in Psalm there's a word, it describes his relationship with two different families, his mom's family and his dad's family. He's estranged from one and hated by the other. And the word that is used there is the Hebrew word that bastard comes from. So, it's quite possible that David was rejected by his Older brothers, particularly. He's out there in the field. Great shame. You're talking about shame, Dustin. That's shame. Can I tell you, the people that God delights to use the most are the outcast and the underdogs. The people that don't think they measure up. The people that, in the eyes of the world, they've been told, hey, listen, get out in the field with the sheep. You don't belong in the house, in the main house. We, those of us who are in that category, are the very ones that the Father's looking for. The very ones that he's putting his finger on and saying, oh, no, 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 I want to give my kingdom to you, through you. It's going to change the face of this world. And so David, in that first season of That's good. A little reverb. <laughs> what in the world was I talking about? I was talking about David, wasn't I? So David is not only having to... Is that, is that reverbing pretty good on you? Yeah, good. Okay. So David is not only having uh, a test of his faithfulness, but he's being tested in his ability to overcome rejection. But David, you'll, you'll see, he shifts into the next place of his life. Samuel anoints him with oil. He pours oil on him, and he says, David, you will be king of Israel. You'll be the next king of Israel. Now, there's a problem because there's already a king in Israel. And so if you flip the page, we're, we're still in 16. 
the king immediately, when the uh, anointing of David takes place, guess what happens to the check, check, check. actual king? <laughs> Let's talk, man. The actual king, Sam, uh, Saul, who's vis the visible king, immediately the spirit leaves him. And a distressing spirit comes upon him. Oh, what a terrible place to be in to lose the anointing of God. Isn't it good news that the Holy Spirit lives in us? Now, we don't, he doesn't come and go. He stays, and he moves, and he just says, let me loose. And so here's David. David is all dressed up and nowhere to go. He's still tending sheep. He's still playing his harp. He's still doing his thing. And David, this is fun, a little tag team here. And so David is trying to figure out what to do, and he gets a call. I don't guess he got a call. Some servants from Saul's palace, Saul's palace in Gibeah. Everybody say Gibeah. Saul's palace. They come, and they get David. They say, David, we understand that you have ability to play like it's it surpasses Austin Morrow. It's it's good, you know. And so they bring him to Gibeah. Look at look at sixteen first first Samuel sixteen verse eighteen. One of the one of the servants answered, "I have a son. I've seen a son of Jesse in Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. Get this, he's a brave man." and a warrior. What has he done? He's just killed a bear and a lion, but the reputation of an anointed man is already coming out. He says he, he knows how to, to worship. He's a worshiper, and he's a courageous man. He's a brave man. He's a warrior. He speaks well. He's good looking. But look at the last phrase. The Lord is with him. There was a recognition that there was destiny on this young man's life. The Lord was with him. The Lord was upon him. The Spirit of God had come upon David. And so David comes into the house of Saul and says that Saul sends for him. He comes. And I, I like verse 20. Jesse packs him some groceries. He says, you never know if they're going to feed you or not there at the palace. So he packs him, you know, some bread and wine and go. he sends him a young goat, you know. And they end up at the palace Verse 21, David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul liked him very much. For one thing, he was driving demons out of him, and I'll make good friends with people. And David became Saul's armor bearer. Can, can I tell you how ridiculous this is? This, this is? this is equivalent of the president of the United States calling a teenager, a 17-year-old, and saying, come on in, I want, I want you to stay with me here at the White House. Some of y'all act like, well, that happens all the time. I don't think that happens all the time. And so, anyway, he, he comes, and um, I did have some thoughts here. He comes to the White House. <laughs> he comes to Gibeah, the capital of, of Saul's government, and David will live there in Gibeah for six years. For six years, he will serve Saul. 
one of the things that gives him favor with Saul in the entire nation of Israel is that they're having big-time problems with the Philistines, and there's a big old giant by the name of Goliath who is taunting Israel. You might know the story. David comes in, has victory over the giant, and becomes a national hero. In fact, the Scripture says they begin to write songs about him. I mean, this is just a young kid, you know, I don't know, maybe 18 by now. And, and they were, I mean, like, top of the charts was, Saul has killed his thousands, David's killed ten thousands, Saul has killed his thousands, David's killed ten thousands. And I mean, it was like, everybody was like singing out, you just David's killed ten And so Saul, as you can imagine, did not like that tune. I mean, they're playing it all the time in the palace, you know. But, but David had favor, just unbelievable favor throughout the kingdom, throughout the deal. He's the, he's the armor bearer. And I want you to see this. Just the day before, he was tending sheep. And now he is in the palace. He is the armor bearer of the king. I mean, he's taken out of the tiny hills of Bethlehem. He's given a, a real salary to live on, and he's got favor, unbelievable this is called the test of promotion. How do you do when things are really going well for you? Some of you have incredible favor on your life. But if you don't handle your favor correctly, it'll be the very thing that'll destroy you. David handled it very well. You know why? Because David knew who he was. He remembered those days when he was with the sheep and he was identified himself as, you know, I'm just a wholehearted worshiper of God. That's who I am. I know God loves me. I know I love him. And I know my calling, my anointing is to be a worshiping warrior king. He knew that. I mean, it happened in that hot sun on a rock with a bunch of dumb sheep. God met him and he never forgot who he was. And so, even as he is living in Gibeah, the Scripture says he goes back and forth to Bethlehem and is still tending his daddy's sheep. He's not forgotten who he is. Some of us would do really good to hear that part of the story. You know, some of you college guys, let me tell you this. I know you just got back home from home and you're probably really glad to be here, but don't forget your roots. Don't forget the people whose shoulders you are standing on that have gotten you where you're at today. And so, David, it's, it's, it's amazing how success can affect the human heart. But David is still a shepherd king at heart. So, he, things are going well, but can I tell you, no season in life lasts forever. If you forget everything else I said, that'd be a good thing to remember. There's no season in life that's going to last forever. It's called ebb and flow cycles of life, seasons of life, and, time, and, and life situations change. And so it's just a matter of time. The next scripture I want you to go to is 1 Samuel chapter 22. After the praises and the promotion in Gibeah, 
David's career took a sharp turn. He lost favor with Saul. He lost favor with the court. I think it was that Degum song. And the outward trappings of success began to fall away. All of a sudden, he had a plethora of jealous enemies. People that were willing to raise the sword right now. How many of you know whenever you begin to find success, you begin to find favor, when the Lord's hand is on your life, there are people waiting to knock you down. Now, it's especially bad if one of those people is the most powerful person in the country. Saul is so jealous, he's, he's pretty demonized, and he wants to kill David. He doesn't want to just maim him, hurt him, kind of hurt his feelings. He wants to kill him. Now, listen to this. He hires 3,000 men to chase, to capture, and to murder David. That was their full-time job. How would that change your life if you had 3,000 people after you, looking after you to kill you? Can I tell you, there's an enemy who wants to see you dead. But greater is he who lives in you than that enemy in this world. See, as we tell this story, we have an advantage that even David did not have. He had the anointing of God on his life, but we have the constant resident Holy Spirit living in us today. And so... Here he is, he's in this situation now, he is 23 years old. And for the next seven years, David will be on the run. He'll be looking over his shoulder every step he takes. And so, he's praying, I'm sure, God, help. I I need, I need some men, I need an army that can protect me, that can walk with me. There's no way that I, as as wily and sharp as David was, can evade that that group of soldiers that were after him. So look look with me in 1 Samuel 22. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and father's household, in other words, all of his family came to be with him because things had gotten so heated up, they were even in need of protection. He said they heard about it and they came down to the cave of Adullam. Now here's the guys that were with David in this cave of Adullam. It says all those who were in distress, in debt, discontented, gathered around him and he became their commander. How many of you like to command people who have emotional immaturity, financial immaturity, uh, they're, they're outlaws, they're mean, they, know they're, they have no place in society, and you got 400 of them saying, help me, help me, David, help me. That doesn't sound like a lot of, lot of help for David. It sounds like a lot of work for David. 
But can I tell you what? God takes the difficulties of the cave of Adullam, Adullam, the, the cave of hardship to prepare us for the thing that he has for us. And so here's David. He's in, in this dif- difficulty and hardship. And he learns a lot about his own sin and weakness. He learns a lot about the 400 guys, their sin, their weaknesses. But let me say this. In your time, your cave of hardship and difficulty, it actually gives you a hint of the blessing that God wants to give you when you come in to the fullness of your destiny. So if, you're, if God's wanting to bless you financially, for instance, chances are somebody in the cave of Adullam is going to steal about five or $6,000 from you. Because it's going to create an opportunity for you to learn what to do. If you have a hard time dealing with criticism, guess what? You're probably going to get some people in your life that are sandpaper. Because God's going to give you opportunity to lead well. And that's exactly what God is doing in this situation. But the thing about it is, when you realize that your money is all God's anyway, it kind of takes the problem out of the equation. When you realize that the only one whose affection and attention of your heart is your heavenly Father, it takes away the sting of a lot of what people are saying to you because your focus is right. David was a wholehearted worshiper. He was abandoned to God. Now, let's move quickly into the next season of his life. Adullam actually turned out to be the training place for his life. He's there for about seven years on the run, like I said. Finally, the season changes. Why did the season change? Why do season changes in our change? Why do seasons change in our life? Most of the time, because we change, we grow. Sometimes circumstances happen. This time is a circumstance. Usually it's not as clear-cut as this. Usually seasons in life have overlaps to them. You know what I mean? You're in, in where many of us are the most um, agitated and in the crunch, the vice of life is in that overlap. God's trying to get you from one season into another season, and he's causing change to happen in your life. He's causing you to have to rethink all kind of stuff. But can I tell you what? No growth, no maturity comes without change. And change is just another word for repentance, to rethink, to align with God's way. And that's what's going on here. So here's the change that comes about. King Saul dies. How many of you think that'd be a good change? All of a sudden, you've got 3,000 guys that are unemployed So they're no longer chasing you because they didn't care about killing David or not. Now they realize David is the number one candidate to be king of Israel. So all of a sudden they put down their swords and they're looking for David for a whole different reason. And so Saul has died and David comes out of the desert, out of the wilderness. He's 30 years of age. It's been 13 years since he original, since the original anointing of Samuel. 
It's interesting that David's men, the guys that are with him, they say, David, this is your big opportunity. It's your chance. David, you need, let's move in. Let's, let's, let's head, for, head for Gibeah. But David does something that he has become very famous for. Scripture says he inquired of the Lord. You know, there are a lot of opportunities that we can seize by force. But one of the things that David understood was, unless the Lord sets me in the throne of this kingdom, I'm much worse off than if I come in there and get it myself. I better wait until God moves instead of taking matters into my own hands. Okay? That is radical even today to think that way. We're so circumstantially driven. And so David knew that God would set him on the throne. You know what I think is going on here? I think God knows that in order for David to be ready, I think David was more ready than his cabinet was. The guys that he was going to bring alongside him, they've now swelled to 600. And God in his mercy sometimes tells us, listen, you just need a little bit longer to mature and to be ready for the next thing I have for you. Because it's so big. It's so big. And so David, in, in um, 2 Samuel, turn over there with me, 2 Samuel chapter 2, says, David, in verse 1, inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked. He's, he's basically asking God, am I going to get the green light to go to Gibeah to replace Saul as king of Israel? And the Lord says, go up. And David said, where, where should I go? And the Lord answers to Hebron. Go to Hebron. So David went up with his two wives. Probably not a good pattern for today. And he comes with his men to Judah in Hebron. And there they anoint him as king. Now I want you to understand, this sounds like really good. It's like, yeehaw, he's reached his destiny. He is the king of Judah. Can I tell you the truth is, his 600 men and his family are probably going, okay, this is really kind of a bummer. We are hoping you are going to be king of Israel. You got one twelfth. One twelfth. Judah's just one tribe. One twelfth. Can I tell you what? Partial promotion. When God says, listen, I'm giving you this as your portion right now because you're not ready for the big thing I said you would get. There, there are some in here right now that you're in Hebron and it's not real fun. Because you can see the place God's told you He wants you to be, but you can't get there. The truth is, David was in Hebron for seven years. Seven years. At 37, he comes to the throne of Israel. And when he gets to the throne of Israel, finally, he gets to that place of destiny. That place of saying, now I'm where you've called me to be, God. 
Now, God, I can do what you put me on planet Earth to do. See, the truth of the matter is most of us want to jump ahead a few steps to get to that thing that God has called me to do. John the Baptist, greatest man born of woman on the wrong side of the cross, lived his entire life in preparation for six months of ministry. And then he was killed. Perspective is everything. God says, listen, I am all about preparing your life for the greater thing that I have for you. In Jerusalem, the greater thing was beyond what David ever imagined because David wanted to build God a house. He wanted to build him a temple, you remember? God comes back and says, no, David, that, you don't get it. Your legacy as king of Israel is not going to be about building a temple. It's going to be about building a dynasty. It's going to be building a house that will bring Messiah in. And out of your house, David, will come Messiah. Listen to this uh, over in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is that whole covenant that God makes with David. But I want to I want to read kind of a parallel in the New Testament to this in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33. It says, Mary, you're going to have a son and you're going to call his name Jesus. And he'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I want you to hear that. David, or Samuel is telling him in 2 Samuel 7, he's saying, listen, your legacy will be, you will prepare the way for the Messiah who will change the world. Guys, I want to tell you what. If, if our destiny is anything short of changing the world, then our vision and our view is too small. Because God is calling us to be His team that will change the world. I want to ask you, what season are you in? What season are you in? Are you in Bethlehem? Where you're working through faithfulness and small things? Are you in Gibeah? Where... Things are going really well for you, but you know that there's much more ahead of you. Are you in that cave in Adullam where things are, it, it just seems unbearable right now? Maybe you're in the place of partial promotion in Hebron. Maybe you're in the legacy part of your life. I believe today the Lord is telling us he wants us to step in to our season. Know your season. Own your season. Step into your season and stay in your season. But don't overstay your stay in your season. I believe the two words I got this morning were humble courage. Humble courage. Humble because God's got this. Courage because it's going to take risk to step into what God's got.
but you can step into it because God's got this. Humble courage. And so that's what I'm asking for today. How many of you want to be people after God's own heart? How many want to step into that thing that God has for your life? Well, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're, going to, we're just going to pray release, and then I'm going to ask if our, our uh, prayer team would be available to pray for anybody who has need this morning. See, I think God wants us to finish well. I think he wants us to be a people that uh, are people after his own heart. And I think he wants some of us here to know that God can rewrite your conclusion. I wonder what David thought would be the conclusion of his life in the New Testament, that he would even get a mention. But God said, you know what? I'm after people that have a heart after me wholehearted lovers of me. So I want you just to hold your hands out, and I just want to pray over you. Lord, I just speak release this morning. Just release of your spirit in this place. Lord, we thank you that you're here around us, you're hovering among us. But Lord, I'm asking for release from within. The Holy Spirit living inside. God, if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus and your Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to birth that spirit today. That they would say, yes, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life this day. It's your starting place. For the rest of us, Lord, we're saying release new life. Give us courage. Father, give us the ability to have humble courage to walk out what you have for us. And Lord, we receive your grace to run this race in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask if our prayer folks would come forward now. And we're just going to worship the Lord. Any prayer needs you have, we want to invite you to come forward and receive.